listening to a Sharesies podcast. It's Friday the 4th of February. You're listening to Recap, made for you by Sharesies. Sharesies is a wealth development platform where our purpose is to create financial empowerment for everyone. And here's the financial disclaimer. Investing involves risk. You aren't guaranteed to make money and you might lose the money you started with. Any information we provide is general only and current at the time. If you're looking for help with your investment choices, we recommend talking to a licensed financial advice provider. G'day there, Alice. Kia ora, Jose. How are you? I'm great. I'm just great. It's, it's, it's casual Friday, best day of the week. Absolutely. And sort of on that note, we will be away on Monday, won't we? Yes, we will. It's a public holiday here in New Zealand. We'll be celebrating Waitangi Day with friends and family. Or maybe just Absolutely. some maybe just some Kias. I just saw an awesome video of a Kia stealing a GoPro and going flying with it. Oh, footage, I saw that headline. Yeah, the footage is the footage is awesome. Just just search for it. It's really great. I yeah, like I'll have to give that a watch after we finish recording. Yeah, definitely. Um, and just a quick note, little heads up for today. Uh, today on Casual Friday, I will be talking to Mike Taylor from Pi Funds about the potential energy crisis and how the world's rush to clean energy isn't fast enough. Looking forward to that conversation. Okay, and lots of notable Big listed companies in the US have been releasing their fourth quarter results over the last few days. Yeah, that's right. Casual Friday season into Big Fish Earnings Week here on Recap. But I thought I'd start us off today by looking at a real biggie. Amazon dropped a whole bunch of figures that mostly bet expectations. All right, then let's hear them. So Amazon said that adjusted earnings per share was over what Wall Street analysts had forecast. They reported $5.80 per share, well past the $3.57 expected. Revenue had increased 9% for the quarter, the company pulling in $137.4 billion. Uh, One thing to note is that their investment in the electric car maker Rivian won Amazon almost $12 billion. Okay, and I saw that Amazon had for the first time separated out uh, revenue from its advertising business. So how did that go? Yes, traditionally Amazon's always chucked ad revenue with uh, another line on its income statement. Uh, advertising services grew 32% year over year to $9.7 billion for the quarter. Ads have not been a major focus in the past, but it's been such a growing part of the business. Amazon's now behind only Google and Facebook in the US for ad revenue. But there's still quite a gap between them, right? Yeah, yeah. Google and Facebook pulled in 61 and $32 billion respectively for the same period. So still some ground to cover before Amazon can join the front pack. All right. And what else can you tell us about Amazon's quarter? Yeah, I think there were two things to note. The first is that growth in its revenue from Amazon Web Services or AWS was was notable. AWS is uh, Amazon's cloud computing platform and revenue climbed 40% to almost $18 billion. And the second thing? Uh, It's the first time growth in sales has dipped below double digits since 2017. So fourth quarter sales grew by 9.4% to $137 billion. Uh, So with that next to the numbers from AWS and the ad revenue we just talked about, that's had a lot of commentators uh, like in Bloomberg, for example, or CNBC, noting that although Amazon is built on online retail sales, 
over half its money now comes from online services that have uh, pretty much nothing to do with people buying stuff from the Amazon website. Okay, and what's Amazon saying about the next quarter? Yeah, their guidance for the first quarter sees revenue between 112 and 117 billion. That's below the industry estimate of 130 billion. The Amazon CEO Andy Jassy said that labour supply issues and inflationary pressures contributed to higher costs. Uh, for example, over the holiday period, they brought on 140,000 workers to help get packages to customers. Now that, uh, coupled with bonuses and higher wages, meant that Amazon over that period spent $22.4 billion. Uh, they also said the company said it will be increasing the price of its annual and monthly Prime memberships. All right, and you know how on uh, Recap yesterday we chatted about Meta and how it had released its earnings results after markets had closed for the day? That's right, I do remember that. And the company recorded a decline in profit as well as a slight decrease in the amount of daily active users. So in after hours trading, um, which is extra trading that takes place outside the normal trading hours in an exchange, Meta's share price had fallen about 25%. Now I'm interested to know what happened to Meta's share price when markets opened up again on Thursday in the US. Yeah, absolutely. So Meta's share price fell about 26% on Thursday from when markets had closed on Wednesday. But it wasn't actually the only tech company that fell, sort of off the back of Meta's earnings results. Shares in Snap, uh, that's the company behind Snapchat, also fell about 24%. Mm, And I thought I saw something about Snap also releasing its earnings. Yeah, that's right. So it was a bit of a roller coaster day for Snap. Uh, after its share price experienced that decline, uh, it actually released its latest earnings report after the market had closed for the day. And then in after hours trading, uh, its share price bounced back about 52%. All right, go on then. Tell me more about these earnings results. So Snap beat analyst estimates in terms of earnings, revenue and user growth. Uh, And it was also Snap's first profitable quarter as a publicly listed company. Right. So let's start off with revenue. How did that go? That came in at 1.3 billion US dollars for the quarter, uh, higher than the 1.2 billion expected, and it was up 42% from the same period a year earlier. Now, because that quarter marked the end of the financial year, um, for the entire year, revenue increased 64% to $4.1 billion. Now, how about the company's profits? You said it was Snap's first profitable quarter after going public? Yeah, that's right. The company made a net profit of $23 million for the quarter. Uh, That's compared to a $113 million loss a year earlier. Now, for the full year, that helped narrow the company's losses uh, down from $945 million last year to $488 million this time round. Okay, and for my final dose of stats from the report, what about daily active users? Well, that number came in at 319 million users versus the 317 million expected. Uh, And that's about a 20% year-on-year increase. Now, together, all these results led Snap's CEO, Evan Spiegel, to say 2021 was an exciting year for Snap and we made significant progress growing our business and serving our global community. I remember the last time Snap released its results, it said that the business has been impacted by Apple's privacy changes, which was also something that Meta said was a headwind for the company in its results yesterday. Is that also impacting Snap? Yeah, you're right. Snap's facing the same challenge as Meta with Apple's privacy changes. So these changes make it harder for companies to target ads to customers. Uh, Ads, of course, are the main way that these companies make money. 
So in the analyst's call, uh, Snap's CFO said that the company experienced a quicker than expected recovery from the iOS changes. And looking ahead, what Snap said about what's in store for this quarter? Uh, Snap expects revenue to be in the range of $1.03 to $1.08 billion, and that was higher than what analysts were expecting. Thanks very much, Alice. Now, depending on who you talk to, we were either on the cusp of an energy crisis or the crisis is already here. Increasing fuel prices, China's coal shortage and the situation between Russia and Ukraine are all contributing to what may be an unstable period. Yeah, and that, to that end, I had a chat with Mike Taylor. He is the founder and CEO of Pi Funds, an investment management firm. He thinks the world's ambition on combating climate change is not really meeting the energy reality, and that's helping or contributing to making conditions ripe for a crisis. So I had a chat with Mike about all of this and what he thinks the next 12 months may bring. Everyone's been focused on COVID for such a long time and then re-stimulating economies with wage subsidies or quantitative easing. However, we now find ourselves with an interesting situation, uh, which has sort of cropped up in Europe, in that uh, the Russians uh, and Putin are putting you know, a bit, quite aggressive stance on the rest of Europe, and they've got their 100,000 troops on the border, and it looks like we're moving towards sort of a war there. Uh, and, and so that's a sort of a side point to what I want to say is actually is because of that, the price of oil has actually crept up. Uh, now it's about sort of $90 a barrel. And we now find ourselves in a situation where so much focus has been put on um, climate change, and as you referred to actually in, in your emails, climate ambition. But actually, we've got this reality, which is what we're in today, where we're getting higher and higher energy prices. And actually, the conversion to uh, a climate-friendly environment, uh, it's going to take some time. Can you explain why this kind of situation we find ourselves in um, with the, yeah, the sure. fuel so, supply, why does it kind of point to what's, I mean, it depends who you talk to, whether it's it's either a potential energy crisis or the energy crisis is already here. You know, we're trying to do a lot of things, uh, but the time frame that we're trying to achieve it in is sort of, you know, you see a 2030 target or a 2050 target, it's a long way off, and the reality is, 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 as at today, we are still a very much a fossil fuel-dependent uh, globe. And so why it's an energy crisis is because that we've known about this for some time, and that's meant that uh, with the ESG movement, less and less investment has gone into fossil fuels, uh, to you know, oil and gas exploration. So we find ourselves in this situation today with almost a decade of uh, no new investment or underinvestment in the sector. And then suddenly, uh, well, the demand for oil is still the same as it was or even, actually even going higher. And what that means really is that uh, instead of sort of helping us with this transition by sort of um, moving away from fossil fuels, we're going to be in a position where those fossil fuels are going to get more and more expensive. And what happens if the fuels, if that those fossil fuels, if fuel oil gets more and more expensive? Like, walk me through that scenario. So, there's a saying in the financial world is that the cure for higher prices is higher prices. So, uh, it's a potential for a crisis as a crisis. It's not sort of 
full-blown crisis this at this point. So what would that mean? Maybe it's $150, $200 a barrel oil, in which case in New Zealand, maybe that's, I don't know, 4 or $5 at the pump. Uh, and that's really going to affect households. It's going to cause massive inflation, and it's probably going to potentially force us back into a recession. So at that point, probably what governments would have to do is they'll be forced to react you know, so they'll be forced to accelerate the, um, their ambition for change in terms of migrating to a cleaner economy, uh, the green infrastructure that we need to build. I mean, we're quite fortunate in New Zealand is that we don't generate, uh, we generate most of our power from hydroelectric, whereas other countries around the world are still burning fossil fuels for their power yeah. and you know we talk about electric vehicles and it's great to see more of them on the road i've got one myself but i think global sales are still only a couple of percent of all vehicles and then you've got the challenge of actually replacing the existing fleet as well and in terms of your why are fuel prices going up what's the kind of drivers there most of the the price you see at the pump is actually tax and then there's a little bit so even if the price of oil went to zero uh, which which actually did happen during COVID, uh, you see that there's, you know, it still probably costs, I don't know, maybe $1.50 uh, for 91. So we've got the taxes, then we've got a, a margin for uh, the distributor, and then there's a margin for the refiner. And then on top of that, there's actually the price of oil itself. So you're probably looking around a dollar eighty type thing before you actually start adding on the price of oil. And production as well, because I didn't really realise until we were sort of sending emails back and forth that production has, has really dropped since 2014. No, that's right. So actually each year, demand for oil is continuing to rise. Uh, and so we're having to try and keep up with that su- with supply. And, you know, one of the biggest producers of oil is this OPEC cartel. And the challenge with OPEC is that they want higher prices, right? Because a lot of them are struggling uh, economies around the world, one of whom is Russia. Uh, so for them, sure, they don't probably want the world to be in recession, but they'd much rather see $100 a barrel of oil than $50 a barrel. Uh, the Saudis as well, and there's questions about how much more they can actually pump. Yes, they've got some reserves there, but what is the spare capacity in the in the oil market? And we may find that out soon. Yeah. And so this this energy crisis that can we get high fuel prices and it has all those sort of uh, consequences as you said before what are the kind of tools that um, can be used to kind of avoid that if it's avoidable could uh, you know governments around the world use to to avoid that what could we potentially see in terms of their reaction we could reduce uh, the taxes that are at the pump Uh, that's probably about all that can be done it, because what will be ha- what will happen typically is that the price will rise very quickly. Uh, governments move very slowly, so we'll be in a crisis before they actually have a chance to do anything. I think probably that would prompt faster action in terms of the climate change protocols that we've got in place, the move to electric vehicles. If you think of countries like Norway, who are much further advanced, ironically, they've got the world's largest sovereign fund, which has come from all the revenue from their oil, but anyway, they, they I think it's over 50% of their vehicles now are electric. So you can mandate it, you just need to subsidize it and you can get there faster. 
And so for the next year, next 12 months, what's your kind of pick? Like, what do you see? Kind of, yeah, we, none of us have a crystal ball, but what are they going to be the, the big movements here, do you think? Uh, in, in terms of uh, the price of oil, I think we should now maybe think of uh, $80 US as a bit of a floor. It's going to be volatile for around the news in the Ukraine, whether there ends up being a war there or not, because uh, Russia supply, uh, Europe gets most of its oil and gas out of Russia. So sanctions there and a disruption to supply would, would put pressure on the oil price. Conversely, if it's resolved peacefully, then perhaps oil might come down for uh, a, a few months. But if the global economy continues to recover and improve and keep growing, then the demand for oil will just continue to rise, uh, despite the fact we are moving in some countries glacially towards uh, EV use. Uh, so for the rest of the year, I would say that probably uh, oil is going to be heading higher rather than heading lower. And so if you're an investor, you know, what are you going to look out for? Look out for, keep an eye on Ukraine, what happens there. Keep an eye on what countries are doing in terms of inflation and interest rates. The the challenge will be is that if oil does keep going high, it puts pressure on the Reserve Bank or central banks to do something with inflation. But the only tool they've really got is to lift interest rates. The problem is, is that's such a blunt tool. All it does is slow down, uh, you know, a housing market or slow down consumer behaviour when really, you know, they're responding to things that are outside their control. They have, they have to be seen to be doing something. And that was Mike Taylor from Pi Funds there. Thanks to Mike for uh, putting aside some time for me. And that was Recap for the 4th of February. Thanks so much for listening. It would be a real help if you gave us a, a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Our email is recap at sharesystock.co.nz and you can also leave a voice message. There is a link in the episode description. Mā Have a great long weekend, everybody. See you next week.